One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS First Peak Podcast. We're going to be talking about some of this week's games that might be flying a bit under the radar. This is your host, Ben Fritz, bfritz12 on DraftKings, Twitter, and in OWS Discord. And today, I'm joined by only Majestic. No Lex today. Lex is out sick, so Jess and I are going to attempt to wrangle this ourselves Lex, if you're listening, you will be missed. Hope you feel better soon, buddy. Uh, Jess, how are you? I'm good. Uh, made it through Thanksgiving week okay and came out on the other side ready to go. Yeah. Did you, I know we talked a little bit pre-pod, but did you play like a, a normal like bankroll and stuff this past week with Thanksgiving or did you just kind of do it for more entertainment purposes? Um kind of in between because the, the, the extra slates and the, the extra slowdown or showdowns and then like stuff that DraftKings was trying to get you to enter all the extra showdowns. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of just did it, it, pretty much what I normally do. Um, I think I changed it up on the main slate and I just put, I max entered that $33 contest mm-hmm. instead of doing a red zone and then like max entering one of the smaller $20 contests or not $20, but uh 20 entry contests. Mm. And yeah, so it's just some slight adjustments, but about probably about the same bankroll, but some of it was like, there were certain games that I, or contests that I played that were more or less just like, hmm, let's see how this works. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. I was curious. Cause I, I generally treat Thanksgiving as like an entertainment day. So I like don't stick to bankroll or anything. I, and I don't go crazy, but it's like, I think about it a little bit more of like free money. Like, you know, it's like if I were going to, yeah, go to the bar and have a few drinks and, or, you know, something like that, where I'm just like, I'll, I'll put in more just for the the entertainment value. Um, I didn't have any wins or anything on Thanksgiving, but I did hit this week finally in a, yeah, thanks. First place in a hundo small dollar amount. So, you know, it's nothing crazy in terms of, uh, my bankroll, but for, for those of the the fam that have been following the assessing your process, like it's been a, a rough week and I know we've, or sorry, rough season for me. And I know we've talked, you know, joked about it a little bit here at the beginning of the pod with the three of us kind of waiting for the, the big week. Um, just, I talked about it on the pod, which is up on uh, all podcast networks right now, but it just like feels good to hit first, man. It just feels good. It's like, I could give a shit about the money like to, to actually just get first place. Uh, and it's been a while since I, I hit a first place. I think I had a showdown. I can't remember if this this season or end of last season, but anyways, felt really good regardless of payout. Yeah, for sure. Seeing that number one is always nice. Always (laughs) nice. (laughs) All right. Well with that, let's see if, uh, we can get ourselves or some of these listeners, some number ones, This week, we're going to be talking about LA Chargers at Cincinnati, Baltimore at Pittsburgh, Washington football team at Las Vegas. 
So starting with the Chargers at Bengals, kind of an interesting spot here with, you know, these two teams that are, have talented offenses and are pretty narrowly distributed. So I think that'll be interesting for us to talk about, Uh, but these teams do also have capable defenses. So let's kind of jump into the Chargers side of the ball first, where, I mean, we have a pretty predictable Chargers offense. I feel like this team feels, you know, resonant of Minnesota in a sense, in terms of the, the, the playmakers, like where we know where the ball is going on the other side of the ball, though, we do have a Bengals team that, you know, a defense that is, is pretty solid. So with that, uh, yeah, I guess just kind of like high level, how are you seeing how, the Chargers offense sets up versus Cincinnati defense. Well, at the, the macro level, just like looking at where these two teams are, they're right next to each other in the standings. Um, I pulled up an EPA chart just to kind of see where they were on there. And they're like right next to each other on EPA per play on offense. Uh, both of them are, are very similar in the way that they play. They want to uh, kind of take away your, your big play capabilities. They, don't, they want you to throw it short. Uh, they want you to try sustaining drives by running the ball. Uh, Chargers are not doing as well at stopping the run as Cincinnati is. Um, and then Cincinnati, though, their their offense is running slower. So they're the third slowest situational neutral offense and the actual slowest situational neutral defense. So they're they're slowing down the clock on both sides. And something I came across today while reading an article on the Chargers is they're rank, they rank last in the NFL in number of drives. So that's pushing them to play at a faster pace because they're not getting the ball as much. Like the other team is, is either winning the time of possession battle, winning the turnover battle. There's just something about the, what's going on with the Chargers this year, and it's forcing them into a faster pace. So taking that all into account, uh, it also is probably why the Chargers don't run the ball as much as they would like to. Uh, they only run the ball. 22 and a half times per game and which is the exact number is what Cincinnati allows. So we're probably looking at just, you know, right around that 22 rush attempts on the game. And Herbert's been running the ball a little bit. You've got Eckler running the ball a little bit, uh, most of it. And then the one or two of the backup running backs will come in and pick up some scraps. But uh, looking at the the play chart, like I added that plays chart to the workbook last week. Mm-hmm. Looking at that this week, uh, the Chargers have the number one blended total for highest passing attempts this week. So Chargers are throwing the ball 39.8 times per game. Cincinnati's defending 37.9 pass attempts per game. Put that together, and we're probably looking at 40 throws for Herbert. Um, so there, there's definitely some interest um, on my side. Like I, I do like the pieces in this game, especially the way it sets up for, for both sides. But I think the Chargers are going to have to pass. I think Eckler is going to be involved in the passing game. Um, the Cincinnati defense is allowing the eighth most passing yards and fifth most air yards per game, but they do a good job of keeping that at, you know, keeping the yards per completion low. So that that's, again, pointing me towards Eckler, possibly some Keenan Allen. Uh, and they have a really low touchdown rate. So that's also kind of kicking it back to Herbert and Allen or Herbert and uh, Eckler, because those two might be the ones scoring the touchdown on the ground. Um, And then as far as running the ball, the Chargers have the sixth worst net adjusted line yard score for the week. 
but they're kind of in the middle when it comes to looking at the, the net rushing DVOA. Um, Bengals have been soft against pass catching running backs. Uh, they're not really allowing like, so they are allowing some points They're allowing the eighth most DK points to running backs, but that's not coming through pure rushing. Most of that's coming through the pass. So again, that, that points right back to Eckler. So the, the Herbert and Eckler to me stand out. Allen is interesting because of the short a dot and the way Cincinnati plays. Um, and then kind of, the I don't know if it's really contrarian or not, but Mike Williams, <laughs> I have him on a lot of my fantasy teams in regular season. Yeah. So I've been watching what he's been doing. I'm like, yeah, this guy's tearing it up. And then, you know, that was for, I think you have it pointed out. It was for the first four games. And now he's kind of hasn't done anything except for the game against the Steelers. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if he can put up another good game. Yeah. Yeah. I think so just to kind of like hit on each piece here, because I think everything you mentioned does a really great job of kind of giving the the lay of the land here and like where the the data is kind of pointing us. Uh, but something like I found kind of interesting looking through stuff today, which by the way, Lex, I, I, I miss you, man. Uh, I had to do quite a bit more research. <laughs> no, I, I had fun with it, but uh, Lex, you're the man when it comes to this stuff. Uh, Herbert has pretty been like very hit or miss this season. He's got four DK scores under 20 points and then four over 30, which one of was a, a true, like have to have a game with 45.82. So, yeah, I think, I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on that? Just in terms of like, I don't know if you can remember like game environments or, or matchups or things like that. Uh, but I just thought that was interesting that he's been, so hit or miss, like, you know, half, half scores under 20 points and then half of them over 30 is a pretty wide range. So, uh, I think, you know, like what you were saying is important, right? Like he, I know like off the top of my head, he didn't have, I think he only had one game where he was at like 40 pass attempts. So it's, you know, he hasn't been throwing the, he hasn't had like these insane volume games kind of like you were talking about. And so if this spot is, lending itself to potentially being higher volume for him, then I do think that's kind of interesting because obviously, you know, based on what we know of him and that stat, uh, he does have ceiling. And so I think that's interesting, but just thought it was worth mentioning that he, he has had a handful of scores that have killed you too, based on, you know, he, he's never super cheap. So just thought that was interesting. Yeah, and just kind of looking at some of those, I've got his, his uh, game long pulled up here on DraftKings. The common thread is NFC. He's not good against the NFC. So it's possibly mm. his coaching staff hasn't really scouted the other conference yet. They're more worried about winning their own conference, their own division. So we're, he's got under 20 points against Washington, against Dallas. He's got under 20 points against Baltimore, which was a road game that could be tough. I can see that under 20 against New England, which is also a tough defense. And then under 20 against Minnesota, Philadelphia is the only team he really popped off for that's NFC. Um, so it's, it's kind of the, the AFC games is, is where he's playing well. Um, let's see. He's played Baltimore, Cleveland. Yeah. I don't know. And it, the thing that worries me in this game is that that pace that Cincinnati plays at. So it, he could get to 
and looking at his volume, I think his lowest pass attempt total was 34. So he's got one, two, three, four, five games over 40 pass attempts. And then. Okay. So I was wrong on that. Okay. So he, he is getting the volume there. Um, and again, I think that kind of goes, it, the, what, what to me is sticking out is that Cincinnati's pace and then the, just how terrible the chargers have been at even having drives to work with. So it's kind of like hurry up and win the game. Like as soon as you finally get, get the ball again, kind of thing. They're not, it doesn't seem like they're putting together sustainable drives. They're not really, I don't know. It's just something odd about the way that they're playing on offense this year. But I mean, you get a game where he runs 90 times for 90 yards and that's really going to boost you for that was against Pittsburgh. Um, yeah. It, I it, the receivers too, they don't have a ton of like reliable receivers. So they need other guys to step up. Like he's been relying on Keenan Allen a lot. And I don't know if he's scared to take shots with Williams. Now, like the way they opened the season was fantastic. He, he was hitting him deep. Williams was getting those targets, but now it's like, he's kind of come into this little shell where it's like, I only trust Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler right now. So I don't know what the deal is, why they're kind of playing that way right now and why he has these bad games, but this spot is not pristine. Like there may be other quarterbacks, like looking at the overall slate that might be in a better spot, but he does have that. If you're looking at looking for volume, which is a, a factor that a lot of people are looking for when they're building lineups, I think he stands out as a guy who's going to have some volume this week. So he is interesting. He's not cheap. He's 6,700, which isn't like insane. Like, I mean, the over 7,000, 8,000 is where quarterbacks can get to sometimes. And, that's a little more prohibitive, but he's QB six on the slate. And uh, I don't know. He's not, it's not a bad spot. I, I kind of like it. A, a road dog. So, <laughs> I mean, you kind of got the, the he's going to be playing from behind idea there. So I, right. Yeah. And we're going to get to that a little bit with Cincinnati too. I think that'll be interesting once we talk about how they play to kind of give a little bit more context to yeah, like how this side of the ball looks. I do think like with what you're saying and then kind of we'll get it a little bit more into these skill guys here. If you're going to play Herbert, I feel like you have to pair him with at least one, if not two of these pass catchers, because the, you know, if you're saying that he's going to have a 30 point plus score, he's bringing one of these guys with them at least because, you know, we're, you know, it's not like he's spreading the ball out to five different guys in, in like a meaningful way. Um, so with that, I think like what you were saying, I, yeah, I think anybody that's kind of, you know, seen the, the Mike Williams thing, it's, it's just like so weird to try to understand like what happened from a coaching perspective. Uh, it seemed like it was just the perfect fit at the beginning of the year. And like he was being used exactly as, you know, like we kind of thought he was going to be. Uh, so yeah, just kind of bizarre how that's just completely gone away. Um, but I do think that's still an interesting play from a ceiling standpoint. I actually played him last week because I, I like when guys like that, that do have a big ceiling and, you know, showed that he could produce earlier this year. Once they go through a handful of games that are, you know, they're not hitting that ceiling, they become interesting. The problem with him is that he's actually being used differently. And so that's the part, um, you know, you would think that eventually rational coaching like that would shift back into, uh, where he was 
at some point, but we just don't know. But anyways, I, th- I think that's still an interesting uh, tournament play there because he obviously has ceiling. And then, yeah, I mean, kind of the, you've just got, like I kind of noted with both Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, you just have these guys that have like really high floors. I think the the difference between these two is that Keenan Allen, his ceiling's still low. And I know JM talks about this, you know, has talked about this for the past couple of years, even with Keenan and, you know, he'll, he'll have a good game here and there, but uh, he only has two games over 20. And I mean, the, the targets are there. He's seeing double digit targets, but it's just, you know, him having big games, you know, 30 plus point games just isn't happening. Whereas Eckler at least has some upside there. And again, he's still not a, a 40 plus point guy, really like uh CMC or, you know, but he at least has a little bit more ceiling. I feel like, cause because mainly because of touchdowns, you know, he's going to have a little bit higher touchdown equity. So Yeah. And I know kind of like, you know, circling back to what you were saying, both of those guys kind of stick out as like the, in terms of what Cincinnati is going to allow those guys kind of stick out. And even though the ground matchup isn't good for Eckler, the pass catching spot, you know, could be there for him. So I don't know. All these guys are semi-interesting to me. None of them really stick out as like a smash play. I, you know, it's, I could see them all getting somewhere in the range of like 15 to, to t- maybe 25, but hard to see anybody like really smashing it, at least the way that I'm, we're kind of talking about it here. <laughs> yeah, I, I can agree with that. That's kind of why I was like, I was looking if I was going to play the charger side of this, I might just go with Herbert and Eckler and hope that the, that Herbert runs one in, throws one to Eckler, and maybe he throws a third one to somebody else. And it doesn't matter who that is. And kind of going back to Keenan Allen too, like it, it, I, I know JM was talking about DeAndre Hopkins role early in the year and stuff like that and how he was priced up. Well, Keenan Allen's priced at 7,500. He's the fourth most expensive on the receiver on the slate. Wow. Third, if you take away Debo Samuel, who's not playing. Wow. And you're paying 7,500 for the potential to get 15 to 23 points. Like, I, I don't like his salary. And that maybe that'll make people not want to buy, you know, pay up for him. But I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to play the ownership game with Keenan Allen just because he really is. He's just playing a security blanket role. He's just out there, you know, catching first downs. He's not catching touchdowns. He's not making big plays. He's not running after the catch. So like if I'm betting on the the passing game, like if I were thinking that somebody was really going to have a big into the passing game, that's still Mike Williams, but that's getting kind of, you know, that play's getting thin now after that start to the season and then mm-hmm. just kind of that whole thing going away. So I don't know. For me, just looking at the Chargers side, I'm really only interested in in Herbert and Eckler as solid plays. And combining those two, you should get all of the touchdowns from their side. And I don't know, what were they supposed to score this week? Uh, about 21, 22 points, just kind of doing math in my head here. So that's three touchdowns. And I think all three will probably go through those guys and like I said, if it's Herbert running one in, Eckler runs one in, and then Herbert throws one to Eckler, you've doubled up on all three of those touchdowns, basically. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, for me as like a, a single entry player, I'm always looking for high total teams or good offenses that have pass catching running backs because you can pretty confidently pair the two then, you know, cause so many people are worried about negative correlation and all that. It's like in this situation though, that's definitely not the case. And it does provide you just kind of a block of safety. Um, but you know, with both of these guys, neither of them being cheap, you do have to, you are still kind of banking on three or four touchdowns being scored because you don't want to pay up for those two guys for to share two or three touchdowns. Um, so, so yeah. All right. Well, I think we kind of hit on everybody there. So let's go to the other side of the ball. (laughs) My question to you, Jess is, is there a better back in the NFL right now than Joe Mixon? Uh, I guess you could say Jonathan Taylor, but yeah, Joe Mixon's doing the same stuff and he's been kind of like, we're playing catch up with Mixon. Like we were with Taylor a few weeks ago where like, he just keeps ripping all this stuff off. And then, you know, here he is, he's 8,100 finally, like he's been down in the the mid sixes for quite a while. And then, you know, kind of crept up into the seven thousands. Now he's the third most expensive back on the, on the slate. So, and he's right behind Eckler. (laughs) So yeah, he's, he's, uh, He's playing great. And, you know, the, the way this game sets up, it, it should tilt run heavy for them because uh, since he's allowing her, sorry, the game plan for, for Cincinnati should be run heavy. Um, they have the third lowest net pass attempts, like combining what the Chargers allow and what they throw, but they have the fifth highest net rush attempts. Um, and then that, that also lends to them bleeding the clock, just hammering Joe Mixon at the defense the whole time. Uh, they have the fifth highest net rushing DVOA score. They have the second highest net adjusted line yard matchup. It's like all the data really does point to Joe Mixon having a, a big game here. Um, it is the second half. Teams tend to try to lean on the running game, especially in, in weather games. I don't know what the weather's going to be like in Cincinnati this week, but you know, if it's a rainy game, that plays into more running the ball, maybe throwing a little bit less. Um and then let's see here. Chargers defense is allowing the highest drive success rate against for the week and the second highest points per drive. So, I mean, the, the way the Chargers play defense and allow you to run, the way Joe Mixon's playing right now, the way Zach Taylor's calling plays, like this really does set up for a, a smash spot for Joe Mixon if he continues doing what he's doing and the Chargers continue not letting or <laughs> welcoming the running backs to do whatever they want against him. So it's it's a good spot for him. He's playing great. Yeah. Yeah. No, good. <laughs> Definitely. You know, Jonathan Taylor obviously is, uh, kind of the man right now, but yeah, I mean, with Joe Mixon, it's just, he's really kind of come out in the way that a lot of Joe Mixon truthers were, you know, talking about him at the beginning of the year and yeah, he he's, he's here, he's doing his thing. And I just really, love his role because he is pretty much game script independent for the most part, you know, he's going to, they're not scared to throw him the ball. He's, you know, he's seen a a ton of rushing attempts recently. So yeah, I think it's really interesting, especially like you said, because that's kind of what the, the chargers defense welcomes. And that's what since he's, wants to do, especially I'm sure at home they're, you know, they would love to just kind of pound it out and 
continue this streak of like not uh, not allowing Herbert on the field. So yeah, I think Mixon is kind of the the clear good play here to zoom out a little bit just to the the rest of the offense. Uh, you know, Burrow's obviously skilled; he's capable. But this this is where I got confused. He has only hit forty pass attempts once this season. And like, I mean, he's got 20 plus DK points in half of his games, but he's only had 30 plus in one. So he's got a a solid floor. He, you know, he's not running like he was post-injury. So I don't know. I mean, at least to me, there's not a ton of room for ceiling for him based on the matchup and how he's going to want to the, or how the Bengals are going to want to play. I don't know. Do you see that any differently? I'd say he's the leverage play here because everybody's going to look at the charger defense and Joe Mixon and say, you know, that's that, uh, that's the match. That's the square peg and square hole. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and play that. So I would say Burrow is the leverage play here. Uh, Chargers defense has been really good against the pass for the most part. Um, they have started to slip like they when, when you score against them, it seems like it has been some big plays that have been their, their Achilles heel. So they're not taking away the big plays like they, they want to. Um, I don't know, like as far as Burrow goes, as far as him hitting ceiling and what is his, what is he priced at? 6,300. So I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can get to Burrow depending on how many lineups you play, but like, yeah, if, if you're, you know, five, 10, lineups maybe you throw one burrow in because everybody's going to be on mixing um and then kind of looking at kind of an off the board play here i was looking at the the chargers have allowed 41 percent of the fantasy points scored against them to come through the running back rushing total not like overall running back just running back rushing and tight end receiving points Mm. so if you're looking at joe mixon eating up those running back rushing points and then you got CJ Uzoma getting the tight end receiving points. He might be kind of an off the board play. So if you think Uzoma is going to do well, if you think Jamar Chase is going to break back out again, uh, T Higgins finally woke up. So there, there is a case to be made. And for, for Burrow, I think it's more as a leverage play than as a, the data points to him as being in a good spot. It's just kind of the, you know, the way football has gone all year. It's like, you think one thing and something else happens kind of thing. So yeah, I could I could see Burrow being worth a thought. <laughs> love it, love it. Yeah, I I talked about this on my assessing the process pod today. We talked about this pre pod. Uh, just the idea of these, you know, we've seen these big performances from Leonard Fournette and Jonathan Taylor recently. When we thought that the the goodness was going to be coming through the passing game. And it still came from a good offense, but it just came from a different guy who is still very much involved and still very skilled. It's just that the defensive matchup didn't, you know, predict that or show that that was the best, clearest path to success. So I, I love that. Uh, Jamar Chase was the one who kind of popped in for me simply because of, you know, the ceiling he's capable of. And he has been quiet for a while. People have chilled on him a bit, like you said. T Higgins finally hit. I put hit in quotations in my notes because it still wasn't some 
insane game or anything like that. Um, but, but yeah, so the, for, for anybody that kind of likes the thought of that or is building enough rosters or wants to get down to that, uh, burrow with, uh, Jamar Chase and CJ Uzoma, the double stack. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, one more thing to add too is Asante Samuels in the concussion protocol. So if he misses, they're down to that. Chris Harris has to move out. Well, I don't know if he'll move outside on every down. It might have been uh, Devon Campbell that was playing outside when they were down in one of their corners earlier in the year too. But so you got Samuel and Davis, I think, are they're starting outside, and then Chris Harris is in the slot. So that's going to give you and uh, well kind of looking at some of the the data on Samuel, he's kind of their weakest link. So <laughs> I don't know if that helps him or hurts him as far as Burroughs case goes, but he is, uh, he is a starting corner. So they put him out there for a reason. If he's out and Burroughs throwing against backups, Chase is running against backups, then that's going to help that case for sure. Yeah. I think even just Uzoma as a, um, even like adding him, to like a mix in roster or I don't know if I would play him necessarily as like a leverage play to mix in. Um, but they would differentiate you, you know, if people are playing only mix in and you have Uzoma as well, and you know, he goes five for 50 in a touchdown or something like that. I don't know his price, but I'm assuming it's pretty low. Um, yeah, I, I think there's, there's paths there. I think the one thing, you know, as we are talking about the leverage thing with Burrow and a pass catcher too, I think you would have to consider how you would play the chargers side of the ball then, because while those guys could score, it just seems very unlikely unless they're being pushed into that. So unless you're building a roster, that's uh, assuming the, or, or, you know, constructed as the chargers getting out to an early lead, you know, they score twice with Austin Eckler or something like that, then, uh, or, you know, two to two to Mike Williams or something crazy. I think you just have to account for if you're going to play burrow and a pass catcher to, I like the leverage, but I think that you would have to build the lineup to show that the chargers are forcing their hand a bit. Cause otherwise I just, I don't really see how they would get, hit a ceiling. Or the the Cincinnati defense is just taking the ball away and keeps putting Burrow and the offense in good position. Um, but yeah, I, if you're if you're playing for the the Burrow leverage play, then a bring back definitely makes sense. Um, too bad you can't bring back Herbert, but <laughs> we need super flex. Right. Yep. <laughs> uh, makes sense. Allen's going to probably catch a ton of balls in that scenario if they're behind and Herbert's just you know keeping drives alive, like. He's looking for Williams, not there. Just check down to Allen. All right. Uh, I think I'm pretty good with this game. Any any other things from you? Nah, that was it. All right, cool. Rolling to our second one, then we've got Baltimore at Pittsburgh, the classic black and blue matchup. However, these teams aren't quite so black and blue this year just because their defenses aren't kind of this – uh, you know, standard elite, you know, just like solid units. Uh, they're still good in, in certain aspects, but just not the same as they kind of are known for. So with these relatively predictable offenses against them, let's kind of dive in to see if there's anything that sticks out to us. So with 
Baltimore and their matchup against the Pittsburgh defense. I, I think the thing for me is like the, the way that they're most likely to attack and going to want to attack if they can, are there any pieces with tangible ceiling? So let's just go ahead and start with the, uh, the centerpiece of the offense in Lamar Jackson uh, thoughts on him and how he matches up. And like I said, we'll just kind of consider the ceiling thing as we go. Yeah, for sure. Uh, quick note that I, I found on Jackson is he's thrown nine interceptions over his last five games. So who, who knows if that's due to him getting sick multiple times this year. Uh, he has had some O-line injuries and he's had some new receivers come back with Bateman and Watkins coming back from injuries. So he might be, you know, the combination of him missing some time with the sickness and then missing practice time with those receivers might be playing into that. Uh, however, the game sets up really well for Baltimore to run uh, per sharp football stats. Pittsburgh's defense has allowed 42 explosive runs, which is the third most. Uh, and they've also allowed them at the second highest rate. Uh, Steelers have the fifth most rushing yards per games at the, at the highest yards per attempt allowed. So th- there's a lot to like here as far as the Baltimore run game goes. And their most explosive runner is Lamar Jackson. Um, looking at the slate itself, like comparing Jackson, if you're looking for mobile quarterbacks, it's basically him and Hertz. Hertz is hurt. Uh, Herbert can run. And that's kind of it. There's not a whole lot of mobile quarterbacks on the slate. So if you're looking to, to get that rushing floor and build that ceiling, then Lamar Jackson's kind of there. Uh, Pittsburgh's defense, as far as like passing goes, um, they're, they're a little bit better, especially when uh, Fitz, Minka Fitzpatrick is in the lineup again. The game, what was that? Well, that was the, the Charger game, right? That he was out, and that was the one where uh, Mike Williams had the big play. Yep. Uh, yeah, so and back helps. So really looking at this, I think Baltimore is going to probably want to temper Jackson down and keep the interceptions down. Um, and then hopefully they get some of their offensive line back. Their right tackle has been really good in the party. I think that's his name. Uh, and he seems like he might be able to play. And then their center is, I think he was a limited or didn't practice today. However, the, the running backs, I don't think they have high ceiling. Um, I, Freeman and Murray are kind of, it's like kind of a 60, 40 or 70, 30, right. With a split between those two guys. So let's see, what are they priced at? Cause they're probably, they might be able to put up like a relatively decent price per dollar score. <laughs> but they're not going to really put up a high ceiling game. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking too, with those guys is in general, I don't want to, to go to that spot. Like, you know, I don't want to be trying to choose running backs from a split backfield, but like you're saying in a spot where that's how it sets up and they are allowing explosive plays and that's likely how Baltimore is going to want to attack. It, it is still kind of hard for me, at least just because it is more like a three headed backfield than a, a two, because you do have Lamar in there as well. So that muddies the waters a little bit, but you know, if, like you're saying, if, if those guys are low enough priced, I think it's, it's at least interesting. I don't know if I could get myself to go there, depending, you know, and again, you need the context of the entire slate to, to, to know that, but, um, Lamar is interesting to me 
especially because I think Hertz will be popular if he indeed is healthy. Lamar could potentially be a nice kind of pivot off of him. Like you're saying, you know, these guys are have by far and le- like legitimate high rushing ceilings. Right. Uh, and I think people will just kind of see like, Oh, like Pittsburgh defense they're you know, the people aren't necessarily going to play want to run guys against them. Uh, so yeah, I think Lamar is interesting here. The running backs are, are a little bit harder for me, but yeah, thoughts on that further. Otherwise I'm curious about your thoughts on the, the receivers. Uh, no, not much more thoughts on that. the running game on that, uh, Freeman and Murray. I think they were like 5,500 for Freeman and 51 for Murray. So neither of them are cheap enough to like get any value out of because yeah. there's their ceilings not high, especially if like, if you're betting on Lamar Jackson and I know JM says this sometimes too, like DraftKings pricing algorithm, they seem to price guys pretty close to, to where they expect them to finish on the week. So Lamar Jackson being the highest priced quarterback kind of stands out that, that they're expecting him to really have a nice game here. Um, looking at Jackson. It, so if, if we're focusing on Jackson as the play here, we're not going to play the running backs, then we're probably going to want to bring a pass catcher with them. Um, and just kind of looking at the workbook, like Pittsburgh's fairly neutral. They, they really only shut down. They seem to be shutting down running back pass catching and they seem to be shutting down tight ends. So one thing that I did notice is they are allowing 25% target rate to the slot, which is the second highest rate to slot receivers in the league, not just slot in general. I only keep track of uh, wide receivers in the slot for that stat. Um, and Hollywood Brown spends a decent amount of time in the slot. Like he's been there about 30, I think he was there at 30% last game. He's in the high twenties in some of the games. So if we're looking for ceiling, that's the guy, that's, that's the deep threat. You know, if he's catching the ball, when those long shots come, then that's, that's where the points are going to come from. If we're getting that high ceiling game from Jackson, it's probably going to flow through Hollywood Brown and looking at that, that matchup too. I mean, Mark Andrews has been his go-to guy. He's kind of like his Keenan Allen. Anytime he's looking to make a play, he's chucking it to, to Mark Andrews. Um, I still think Andrews can score when they get in the red zone. I don't know how effective he's going to be in between the twenties. So I don't know if I'm looking at Andrews as like a a high ceiling type play. I think he'll probably he'll do okay. But I I think Jackson and Hollywood are the play here. If you're going into this game, I mean, we're looking at a game with a 44 point total. So it's kind of a low total Ravens are only favored by four and a half right now. And that's kind of crept up a half a point since yesterday or day before when I looked at it. Um, again, going kind of looking at the way DraftKings prices players. If you're betting on Jackson being the highest scoring quarterback, then I would bet on his highest ceiling receiver to help bring him there. And that's Hollywood. Would kind of when I was looking through game logs, while he hasn't hit any massive games recently, his target totals have been like really high. They've been way up there, double digits in five of the last six. And I don't have it written down, but you know, it's, it wasn't just like 10 or 11 target games. Like some of them, there were like 13 targets or like they were getting up there. So that was interesting to me. 
because in general, I had kind of written Hollywood off as like one of these guys who's, you know, going to hit every once in a while, but just doesn't have the type of value that, that I'm, you know, interested in for the way that I play. But I do think that's interesting uh, because, you know, obviously with his explosive playability, he's got the, he, he does have a ceiling. Like there is that ability if he does make, you know, it doesn't happen very often, but if he does happen to catch eight of those 11 targets and one of those or two of those goes for a big play, I mean, you're, you're in a good spot there. So that was interesting to me to see those target totals. Uh, uh, Andrews wasn't too different. He's seen exactly 10 targets in four of the last five. So, I mean, I do think it's important to consider game environments when you're thinking about target totals, but uh, you know, these two guys are, are clearly the guys and, you know, just to, you know, everything you said as well, definitely, definitely interesting in this spot. So I guess uh, to, to throw it back to you, then would you, do you have a preference? And if so, are you, or either way, like, are you playing one of these guys with Lamar hoping that he hits a decent rushing score and ends up throwing a touchdown to one of these guys, or would you rather play one of these guys standalone or naked Lamar? I think if I'm playing Lamar, I'm betting that he's going to hit his rushing floor that we would expect and possibly start reaching towards the ceiling on that. Uh, but I, I probably do want to bring one of these high target guys with them. And as far as the way the Steelers defense is defending right now, it would be the receiver because he's got a little more, he's getting more targets. The thing though, and as, as you were talking, I was looking at his last couple of games, he's been targeted 10, 13 times these last two, and he's caught eight and six for only like a six and a half yard average or less than a six and a half yard average, which is just bizarre for him because normally he's kind of the deep threat. And like, I thought Bateman would come in him, Watkins and Bateman would take kind of the, those little short, you know, five yard shots. And it looks like, uh, <laughs> looks like they're using Marquise Brown that way a little bit, but you know, the two games before that we've got 116 yards, we've got 80 yards and a touchdown. So it's like, what are we getting with him with, uh, the way they're using him these past couple of games? Uh, the other thing do too comes back to what you were saying, as far as game environment, we got to look at the Pittsburgh side, like what, what motivation is there going to be for Lamar Jackson to have to sling the ball a ton in this game? especially when they're a run first team uh, and Pittsburgh. I mean, the, you got Pittsburgh at home. Maybe that's kind of the, the helpful thing here, but Pittsburgh's not in a very great spot with this either, depending on the health of Baltimore's corners. They've been down corners for the past few games or just kind of rolling out injured guys. So kind of looking at the way the Steelers offense is going right now, and they've been losing guys. It's we're going to need Pittsburgh to, to push Baltimore and Lamar in order to get off of a naked Lamar into a Lamar and Hollywood situation. Yeah. Well, with that, why don't we just bounce over to the other side of the ball then? Uh, so, I mean, this offense is essentially big Ben dinking and dunking his way to retirement through Najee Harris and Deontay Johnson. Uh, I think something that is interesting here is we got Pat F. Uh, who should have a meaningful role with Ebron on IR has, you know, looked really good in his starts. So I guess, again, kind of the, the 
the question for me is like, do these guys have ceiling? You know, these guys have floor, but based on the matchup and everything and how they're going to try to attack is, is there a way these guys hit a ceiling thoughts on that? And, and I guess big Ben, if we're going to talk about him. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love Firemuth on this one. Uh, he still has to clear confession protocol too. So that he can be in this game. Otherwise, we're going to get really cheap shots at like Zach Gentry. Zach, easy for me to say. Zach Gentry and some of the other tight ends on this roster. Um, I was looking at like Roethlisberger overall because basically he's the offense. They can't. They haven't been able to run the ball very well recently. Um, I mean, the, the, he's he ranks 32nd in intended air yards, 40th in a dot. And then he's facing a Ravens defense that allows the fifth highest a dot and third highest yards per attempt. So we're looking at a situation here. This, this is where you can get the ceiling on the other side is can Ben take advantage of this. Can he, can he actually throw the ball down downfield? Can he get it more than six, seven yards downfield? Um, he's only attempting 4.2 deep passes per game and he's only completing 31%, which is those, the 4.2 is kind of upper middle range. The 31% is on the low side. Uh, and then, like I was saying, with the Ravens corners having injuries of late, I mean, that kind of gives us a sliver of hope. I don't know that that puts like Big Ben into like, we got to start Big Ben. I tried him last week and I got burned because <laughs> his, his matchup said that he would have high volume and he kind of did. And I don't know, it just, it didn't work out that well. But uh, I mean, Baltimore's defense, they forced the third lowest completion percentage. They're getting the fourth highest pressure rate on the quarterback. So I don't know that Ben's going to have time to really get the ball deep. It's probably going to be yeah, dink and dunk. It's going to be uh, Deontay Johnson and Najee Harris in the passing game. And then when they get into the red zone, it's fire move, but they have been trying to get Claypool involved and he would make a lot of sense. If we're looking at what Baltimore's allowing with those deep shots and the, the high air yards and stuff like that. I mean, that, it would be awesome to see Claypool get going and nobody's going to have him. Like everybody's going to look at this and go, yeah, it's going to be, you know, dink and dunk Ben, his little pop down arm, just kind of throwing, you know, just getting the ball out quick. And that's the other thing too, is he's, he's getting the ball out faster than any other starting quarterback in the league right now. So if, if we can get, if he can get enough protection, um, I know Kaylee is Campbell. I think he's also in the concussion, but there's like crazy concussions going on this past week. Uh, I think he's also in concussion protocol. So if Baltimore is missing Campbell, then that's one of their best defensive linemen. It could help as far as pressure goes. Maybe maybe he can take some shots to Claypool and get, you know, he can get some yards out of that with Claypool catching a deep one. Um, I think Fryermuth, that's his favorite guy in the red zone. Like, that's where he's looking when they're they're calling up a touchdown play. It's going to be to Fryermuth. So, and Baltimore, they're terrible against uh, tight ends this year. They're allowing, where are we at here? 9.4 targets to tight ends at a 25% rate um, 16.8 PPR points. So the, I mean that it all lines up for Fryermuth to at least have a big game. Um, and then Deontay Johnson is still, let's see, did they raise his price? He's his, like, if you kind of look at, and I was doing this last week, if you look at targets per game and you try and do kind of a salary conversion on that, he's like the only guy you can get up at this level that you can get pretty much a two for one salary conversion on. He's getting 14 targets. 13, 13, a six. And then he's got 13, two, 13, 13, 12. I mean, his, his target counts for 6,800 are ridiculous. 
I mean, granted, they're all kind of underneath, but he's getting 95 yards, 101 yards, 83 yards, 98 yards. He's been so close on 100 yards multiple times. He's got four touchdowns. He could possibly get more, but like that floor is fantastic at 6,800. So, like, if you kind of play around with the pieces with the Steelers, Ben is cheap. Deontay Johnson is going to catch a bunch of balls and just kind of look and see what you want to do there. Cause like, it, I kind of like the idea of at least Claypool and Fryer move. And if you're going to play Claypool and Fryer move, bring back Ben. Or if you were going to play Deontay Johnson and Claypool, bring back Ben, that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's, it's just kind of interesting the, the dynamic of how that offense is running right now. And then the way that their players are priced because you can get, you can get a really cheap build with that Steelers offense. If you take out uh, Najee 7,700 and just focus on the passing game. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I have such a, a hard time with guys like Deontay because like, I so want to have that floor, but it's just like, it's, it's so tough with a, a guy like him. Now I think it is important what you're saying. Like he has been very close to breaking hundred. He hasn't had a ton of touchdowns to kind of buoy his scores, but it's just hard when, you know, he's, he's got one game over 25 points and two others of 20 plus Interestingly, you know, like we're talking about the ultimate floor play here. He has no single digit point games, which is uh, really a great thing and pretty much non-existent for a receiver. So I think that's interesting. Like if in your, like looking at the build, whatever your roster is from like a high level, if you're, you can play him and then take some shots on guys, you know, like Mike Williams, for example, who his floor is lower, but he has a higher ceiling. If you're building in some safety, so to speak with Deontay Johnson, you can do that. Uh, so I think that's an interesting way to play him. And like you're saying, it's like, it's not that his, he doesn't have ceiling at all. Like he's still in an offense that he could potentially get there. He just has continued to fall short. Uh, and then, yeah, I think Firemuth does stick out. I don't know what his price is, but if, I'm assuming that's not very high. 42. Okay. 42. Yeah. I figured he's probably between four and 45. So that's definitely reasonable for having a, a tight end. Who's going to see five to eight targets and he's going to get a, a red, you know, he has like a very potent red zone role. So yeah, those guys are interesting. I like the clay pole thing. I, I think I played him like two weeks ago or something like that. It's yeah. Just kind of like waiting for him to get more involved. You know, it's like he, we know he has that big playability. It just hasn't really happened. I do think like you're saying, it's interesting with the matchup. Um, and then with, yeah, with, with Harris, just like the, it's just hard because like the, the volume has been there, but I think you mentioned in your notes that he actually seeded some passing work this past week, uh, I forgot who it was, but so that's kind of interesting and a little bit scary because that'll definitely knock his value. Yeah. With, uh, McFarland back, I think he was on IR McFarland's back in the lineup. And, uh, so looking at the last two games, um, Najee's essay, they, let's see, McFarland and Ballage cut into 13 routes and Najee had 24. So they're, they're almost cutting into like uh, kind of about 30% of what could be going to Najee. So 
he's kind of coming down a little bit. And then uh, his rushing lines the last two games, he's only ran the ball for 39 and 14 yards. His routes are going away. Baltimore's defense is allowing second fewest rushing yards per game and six fewest DK points to running backs. So again, like the, the way the matchup works out is this is going to probably going to have to be a passing game from Pittsburgh. They're probably going to have to take some shots downfield because the, there's going to be opportunities to do so. Um, kind of looking at some other things to, to poo-poo on the running game as Pitt has the, the worst net adjusted line yard scored on the slate too. So there's this, I don't expect Harris to pay off his DK price this week. Um, I would expect the receivers and Friar Muth to pay it off at, you know, at least a, a three times clip. One of them ha- is going to have some ceiling. One of them is going to hit four or five times value. Uh, just picking the right one. And then Ben, he's only 5,000. That's why I was drawn to him last week. It's like, Oh, he's only he's, five. Yeah. He's going to have volume and there's not like, going back to what I was saying about Lamar Jackson. There's really only two running quarterbacks on the slate. So we're kind of, we're, we're going to be looking at a slate where we're looking for 300 yards and three touchdowns. And that's definitely within Ben's wheelhouse here. So it's, it's just kind of a, a, an interesting spot if we think Baltimore is going to be able like, if this game is going to play out to where they'll probably start out slow, they're both going to want to try and establish the run. Cause that's been those teams identities forever. And that's just that, that con or that uh, division's identity. Mm-hmm. They're going to try and run the ball. They're going to try and play defense, but the, the defenses are falling apart on both sides. The passing games have opportunities on both sides. So at some point they're, they're going to take off the gloves and start throwing the haymakers and, if that's sooner than later, then that's going to be awesome for this game environment as a whole. And it's definitely going to hit the over on 44 points, but it's, it's just, it's one of those things. that's like, you can bet on it. You don't have to expect it to happen, but you can bet on it kind of thing. Like it, it is, it's, it's within the, the realm of possibilities anyway. Totally. Yeah. I'm like trying to build correlations in my head as you're talking and it, it just, it does feel hard though. Cause it's like, even if you play like Ben and Claypool, it's like, then who are you, who are you bringing it back with? Like, what story are you telling? Cause if you're telling the story that Lamar gets them out to a lead, well, you can't play Lamar cause you got Ben at quarterback. <laughs> so it's, right. it's tough, but I do think like you're saying, I think what you said there is uh, kind of a good way to finish this game, which is just like, it's, it is a solid bet. You don't expect it to be the way it plays out, but just know that you're, you're betting on something that is, has a highly higher likelihood of happening than the field is going to give it credit for and therefore be rostering it as. Yeah. All right. Two games down. Let's wrap it up here with Washington football team at Las Vegas Raiders. I like, I swear with all of our third games, it's just like the weirdest matchup to me. And so I'm always like really curious. I feel like sometimes we dig into these and find some interesting things. And then like two weeks ago, it was like, we dug into it and we're like, Oh, well, we're not playing those guys. (laughs) So let's kind of let, I mean, we got the, the football team here has been on a, a relative tear. I say that, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, but, but they've been looking good. Their defense has been looking better. They've won their last three. And then on the other side of the ball, we've got a Raiders team who just looked completely broken, who had scored between 13 and 16 points in three consecutive losses until pulling off a Thanksgiving upset of the Cowboys 
and scoring 36. So yeah, I, I feel like there's kind of a lot to unpack here. So let's see what we can get into starting with the Washington offense. I said relative terror just because they had this three game win streak, but they've only scored 20 plus in two of their last six. And in three of those, they only scored one touchdown. So the, you know, just some really low offensive outputs, their defense has been kind of the main reason they've been able to win these games. So with that, do we like anything on this side of the ball? Uh, Heineke has just really let me down this year. I was excited to, you know, he looked good in the first couple of weeks and I was excited to ride the, the quiet, like dual threat train while everybody else poo pooed him. But, uh, he he's kind of lived up to <laughs> not being that good. So thoughts on the Washington offense and how they're going to be able to approach this spot. Yeah. Uh, I do want to piggyback on something you were saying though, as far as the Washington defense, since their bye week, they have been better. They, I think they lost four games in a row heading into the bye week. And now they've won three in a row with one quality opponent in there with Tampa Bay. And I guess you can kind of count Carolina as a quality opponent too, but it wasn't that the cams first game back. So it was kind of a weird game, but still they won three in a row and they've held their opponents to 18.3 points per game during that span. And before that, like the eight games prior to the bye week they were allowing 28.4. So their defense is like shaved 10 points off of their opponent's score in that span. Um, now hopping over to the offensive side, the way it sets up is, is for Washington to run the ball again. Uh, they're averaging 29.3 run plays per game, and the Raiders have allowed 28.5 per game. Uh, Washington also ranks 11th in that pass DVOA for the week, so they can pass if they want to. Um, I think they're probably going to try and stick to the run, depending on the health of their running backs. I know I think Gibson was limited or something today with his shin, but that's kind of been an ongoing thing. And then McKissick has the, the concussion, but the Raiders defense is allowing 28.3 DK points to running backs, which is the third most in the league. So this sets up really, really well for Gibson. And if McKissick is out, then maybe that puts a little more on Gibson's plate, even though he's coming off of a career day. Like he, that, that was the most touches he's had in his whole career last week. He's had, uh, Seven catches was his most his career high, which his seven targets for the seven catches actually tied his career high uh, and then 29 carries. So it's like one of those things. It's like he had an outlier game. He had a really good game, um, but it was one of those things you could see it coming. And it's it's the exact same setup he had against Seattle. He's playing a defense that just can't stop running backs. And he could have had a, a really good game if McKissick didn't steal his two touchdowns. <laughs> So, I mean, that their, their running game is really set up right now. Um, they, they did lose uh, Cosme, their right tackle, but he didn't play last week. And then they lost, I think they've been losing, they're down to their third string center or something like that right now too. Uh, I think Schweitzer's hurt right now, but they've lost Roulier from the st- as a starter and then they lost Larson. And then I think that's when they brought in Schweitzer and he's questionable. So we'll see how the offensive line shakes out, but the way they're playing, they're, they're playing with a little bit more confidence and swagger right now. And then you've got riverboat Ron gambling on that. Uh, was it the two point converter? No, it was, he should have kicked a field goal at the end of the game to make it a two score lead. Instead he gambled and still won, but yeah, so we'll see. Um, like I said, as far as the way the game sets up, I, I would bet on Washington to run the ball a lot if, if they can, if they have the running backs to help you to do it. 
Yeah, I'm so first of all, yeah, I was yelling at the TV when McKissick scored his second touchdown because I played Gibson and showdown, like I'm sure many other people did. Um, but yeah, I think what you're saying and what we talked about a little bit pre-podcast is also really important, which is that you know, we have these data sets now for the year and what those, you know, DVOA and all this stuff, like what the numbers are pointing to, but that like teams are changing as the the course of the year rolls out after bye weeks injuries shift, or, you know, guys come back in, whatever it is. And Washington is playing better. They have run the ball more. Gibson has 19 uh, or more carries in the last three games which have all been wins. They've all, they've, you know, they've been able to rely on their defense in the running game. And like you're saying, this looks to be probably another one of those spots. The concern for me is that the world just saw Gibson <laughs> have that game. Uh, yes. It was like slightly dinged by the fact that McKissick ran those in, but I think anybody that's really kind of dialed into football knows that was a little bit of an outlier and I, I, I mean, I fully expect Gibson to be chalked this week. I don't know what his price is going to be, but I do think people will like immediately jump on that bandwagon. Uh, so I am how much he's 5,700. He's going to be massive chalk. 57. Oh my gosh, man. <laughs> well, that's, that's going to be an interesting one in terms of like, do I differentiate here or do I just take this guy and and play better elsewhere? I think there's also some other interesting running back spots this week, so uh, uh, that's going to be an interesting spot for me. Um, but so yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting piece of this slate. Is do you just stick Gibson in there because he is a genuinely good play in in the matchup in how they set up and how they want to play? Or do you do something differently, which, you know, if I'm going anywhere, it would be Logan Thomas because I've been waiting for him to come back and be healthy. He was, I don't know. And I don't know what the snap uh, counter percentage ended up being, but uh, he did see six targets. On yeah. So that six targets was only behind Gibson and McLaurin seven. So he was the second most targeted, or I guess third, because two guys tied. Um, third most targeted player, and he played 79% of the snaps when they said they were going to ease him in. Uh, Las Vegas has allowed the second most DK points to tight ends at 17.7 points per game, and they're allowing eight and a half targets per game, which is the third most. So Logan Thomas is in a smash spot here as well. Um, let me see what is the, the price on Thomas. Thomas is 4,000, so he's not really priced up here. And the the thing, too, and this this points it back to, and I know JM talks about uh, he looks for, like, sure things at running back. Like, it, I, I understand that Gibson probably is going to be the chalkiest play on the slate based on his price, on the matchup, on what we're seeing. Um, I mean, it could, <laughs> Mixon could be there, too, but or even Taylor. Anyway, Las Vegas cornerbacks, uh, the corners, they've been solid at keeping receivers from having big, big games. And uh, they've allowed the six fewest to wide receivers. Casey Hayward is only targeted once out of every 12.3 coverage snaps, which is the second lowest rate among all cornerbacks with at least 15 coverage snaps per game. 
And then Nate Hobbs, their nickel corner is eighth at 9.2. So the Raiders are doing a really good job of forcing you. And this seems like it's the theme in the NFL this year. They, they're funneling everything to the running back and the tight end. And that's the, I mean, Washington's going to have no problem with that. They have Gibson, they have Thomas, they have players there to take advantage of that. Um, I don't know that they'll be able to get McLaurin going, but maybe some of the other receivers can go, especially if McLaurin matches up with Hayward the whole game, then that's going to be a tough matchup, but they'll get some of those other receivers involved. And then, yeah, Heineke scrambling, like I was with you too, at the beginning of the year, like I was like, Oh, Heineke's kind of the low key dual threat QB that nobody's playing yet. <laughs> and yep. I was playing them early on. And like, I think I had success one week and then from there it was, it wasn't that good, but kind of just hopping back onto that Gibson thing. It's like, yeah, he's going to be chalk. So it's, it's a matter of, do you want to take what looks to be like the guaranteed sure thing at high ownership and differentiate elsewhere? Or do you, you play the leverage and just maybe play, you know, Heineke and Thomas or flip to the other side and play Josh Jacobs, who's not in a bad spot either. So it's just, I don't know. And you don't necessarily have to uh, pivot off of, Gibson within the the game itself, but just looking at pricing, he's only three hundred dollars cheaper than Josh Jacobs. Is why I brought that up. But yeah, it's it's going to come down to what you're comfortable with as far as roster ship goes, and if you want to have that high player on there, or if you want to play that contrarian angle and say, you know, what if his shin does act up? What if something happens? What if he's not the focal point? Whatever it is, what you know, whatever happens every week that causes the chalk to fail that that could happen to Gibson this week too. So it's, he's not as sure as possible, but the setup, he's set up the same way he was last game. So it, it definitely, the, the high probability is, is he's going to have a good game. Contrarian play is bet against it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one way to do that would be, you know, making sure you're playing another uh, running back in a good spot. You're not making some, you know, negative EV decision there but playing logan thomas instead you know you figure if gibson helps them drive the field and then thomas is the one to to get two of those touchdowns instead of mckissick in this spot you know it's definitely reasonable we've seen him be used in the red zone in the past uh yeah I, i think and even i think given their prices i think you could potentially in smaller fields where you're not so worried about like massive ceiling, I think you could play those two together as a block and not because we're expecting four touchdowns out of the football team here, but because the way they're going to move the ball is going to be through those two guys. Like you're saying with McLaurin, you know, the, the other receivers, they get sprinkling here and there, but it's not anything super meaningful. And then McLaurin, who really kind of started the year as like a a target hog and a guy who was, you know, getting a large percentage share, but also just uh, like the, the raw share he was getting double digit targets. He hasn't topped eight in the past four games, which three of those, as we've talked about, have been wins. They've been able to run and play on their defense. So unless I, I think the only way that McLaurin is even feasible is if you are seeing this game and building a roster around Vegas, putting up points. Otherwise I don't see why you would be going to McLaurin instead of Gibson and Logan Thomas, who set up way better and are priced at least to me, very low 
considering their floor and ceilings. With that, uh, any, I like, I had mentioned or I'd listed McKissick in my notes just because he's he's seen four plus targets. Obviously, he he did get concussed and is in the protocol. Um, I don't know any any final thoughts there. I don't think we need to spend too much time on it, but just wanted to mention it just to out of completion's sake. No, other than as last week showed us the Washington RB two, if it's McKissick, has value. Um, I don't know if Patterson or Smallwood is going is to be able to come in and play the same role that McKissick has. So I, I kind of think if McKissick misses, it's just it's going to push so many people onto Gibson. Um, we kind of do. Well, we got to hope McKissick clears protocol, and then that may be kind of a leverage play off of Gibson. Maybe he does snipe a couple touchdowns or one touchdown or whatever it is. But um, kind of going to the the game environment, like I, I do think that. Vegas can push this game up. I think that they're getting better. They're back to kind of what their identity was on offense. They needed Henry Ruggs there to take the, the defense back, kind of take that lid off the defense and force them to, to keep an eye on that deep ball. And them getting Deshaun Jackson back has really helped. Um, Derek Carr has attempted the most deep passes in the league. Like, and that was something that you, somebody told you that like two or three years ago, you'd laugh at him. Uh, they were hurt by the loss of rugs and with, with Jackson there, like he's, his snap rates have been, been increasing. He's still not like a full-time player, but he's gotten from 17 to 34 to 48%, uh, target counts of one zero. And then last week four, which was good. Um, so I'm not necessarily saying we play Jackson here, but like he is trending up. He is kind of on the cheaper side. I think he's in the fours somewhere. Where is he? Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Oh, 42. Yeah. So he's fairly cheap. Um, and then we also have to, to figure out, it seems like Waller is going to be out. So that could put some more towards Jackson. That could put some, obviously Moreau is going to come in and fill in for Waller and Moreau has done well. I mean, the other game Waller missed, I think he had a, Moreau had a pretty good game, but I also think that we're looking at, Renfro probably getting more targets too. And he's had nine and three of the last four weeks. So he'll probably get above 10. And then Jacobs, like that, another thing too, like the last couple of years, if you said Jacobs was going to get five targets a game, like he's been getting, you know, let's see, where, where's he been at here? Yeah. Four, seven, five, four, three. Like those weren't target counts we would have thought of for Jacobs going into the year. And I was kind of an off against him in best ball and redraft and all that is he just doesn't catch passes. So with with Waller out, uh, you're going to get some of that hole filled by Moreau. You're going to get probably more of that distribution going to Renfro and some of that going to Jacobs. And then it could open up for, for Jackson as well. But I think uh, Vegas has figured out their offense or re-figured out their offense, recalibrated, however you want to say it. But I mean, they, they have the number five net pass DVOA on the slate. And I know we're, we're kind of talking about data is changing right now, but I think it's a good spot for Vegas. And I, I think that's what is going to help the, the plays on the other side too with Washington. So I think this is a really fun game to look at from a, a game environment and game stacks and stuff like that. So I, I, I kind of do like this game a lot. <laughs> I feel like this game is like one of those barbell distribution of outcomes, like where 
like you, you could definitely paint a picture with how Washington's defense has been playing that Vegas does come in and still have a little bit of those struggles and fall on their face. And, you know, the game ends up being 23 to 17 or something like that. But then I think you're right. I think on the flip side, there's still, there is reason to believe that this game could open up a little bit. And I, I think that's interesting to consider what those pieces are then. Uh, Josh Jacobs, he just, that's just such a hard one for me because like you, I had noticed his target count, uh, you know, probably about a month ago or something like that. And, you know, people are still talking about him as, as he, you know, is this yardage and touchdown guy, but he's, it's just not been the case. Uh, the, the problem is they just have not been able to open anything up for him. He has zero games over 20 points this year, which is just brutal. And when it comes to ceiling, uh, but he does only have one game under 10 points. So he, he's a guy that's been a, a, a decent floor play. And so if you are seeing this game as hitting the over and opening up, he's definitely a guy who could get you two touchdowns for sure. Uh, and then the, out of like everything else you were saying, yeah, I think, you know, DJX is always going to be there as a potential ceiling guy. Hunter Renfro is interesting to me because he's just not a sexy play. He's just this guy that, you know, everybody sees as the, the possession receiver and he is, but I mean, he's legit been seeing, you know, solid target counts. And then like you're saying too, if he's filtered a couple more because of, Waller being out. And then again, if you are creating, uh, you know, the, the, the painting, the picture as this game does go over, I mean, he could legitimately see double digit targets in this spot. And, you know, I, I, I could imagine they would look to him in the red zone too. Uh, if they have a couple shots because, you know, Carr definitely trusts him. And I think they've even drawn up specific plays for him in the red zone before because using his kind of like shifty route running nature. So yeah, interesting things. It's, you know, kind of as, like I said, to lead us into this game, this third game that we talk about is always kind of off the board, but there are ways to see some, some viable things here. And these, these teams just themselves have been through so much turmoil this year. We've got Washington, sex of harassment scandal. You've got the Raiders losing players to off the field issues. It's just, there's so much weird about these two teams and here they are playing this week in Las Vegas where anything could happen. So <laughs> it's, just, it, it's kind of a fun game. I like the way it sets up. I like the way Gibson sets up, Thomas sets up. Um, and then if, you know, Waller being out, then that's really going to help the pieces like Renfro and Jacobs and, you know, you can get Foster Moreau for, I think he's 2,700. He's pretty cheap on this, this slate. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and kind of like we were talking about with the Washington side of the ball too, you got a, a game stack that comes in at a low price. Yeah. Then, you know, you, you can play those guys like Deontay Johnson, who's, you know, more of a, a staple kind of floor guy. Cause you're betting on ceiling from a game like this, but you're also not breaking the bank to do it. Another thing, just kind of from a, a higher level strategy standpoint, kind of relates back to something that I was talking about today on the assessing your process pod, which is think for, for single entry players, 
it, you know, cause it's like this specific game is like, okay, single entry. Nope. Avoid it. Like, don't go there. It, it's only reserved for, uh, for like mass multi-entry guys or, you know, building for f- five lineups or more or whatever. But I think it's important to remember that like you can still as a single entry player play, you know, y- your main lineups play the, the most of your, the, the lion's share of your, your bankroll the way you normally would, but you can start playing, you know, start stacking games like this and throw it into, uh, you know, dollar buy-ins or, or $3 buy-ins. What is it like the, the play action? Cause I don't play these. So I don't even know what the contests are, but isn't it like the play action, the one that's like three and the three bucks and 20 entry max. Yeah. That, and that's a huge field too. So that's one of the, it has a high payout. So yeah, if you're looking for off the board games to stack up and like you were saying, this is, this is such a cheap game to build around. You can get to those other pieces and it's a late game too. So like you can, you have the opportunity to late swap off if you kind of get cold feet on this game or something else starts to look like it's going to open up in the, in the later window. So it's just a, a, an overall interesting game. And then kind of, as you were talking, you were talking to high level and I, <laughs> I was kind of scrolling through the games on the main slate. And I think we, we covered the three that are probably most likely to be the three closest games. There's a lot of yeah. blow up yeah. potential here. You got yep. Indian Houston uh, giants without Daniel Jones and half of their offense down in Miami, Minnesota, Detroit could be interesting. Uh, yeah. I don't just, some of these games just don't look, like they're going to be very competitive. So these are three games where if you can pluck a few pieces from, and then this Washington Vegas game, you don't have to bet on the quarterbacks. You can get up to Lamar Jackson for your quarterback in this game and just fill in with the, the cheap pieces from here and like grab a, another expenses receiver or whatever it is, pay up for, I don't know, who's the most expensive defense on the slate this week. <laughs> Not that we need to necessarily, yeah the Rams against the Jaguars, like Jaguars can't score and the Rams know they need to win that game. It's a home game. So like you can get to the, the higher end defenses in this spot too, if you're playing that and we have the late swap and there's four games to choose from on the late swap this week too, instead of just three, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, and two, when you're talking about roster differentiation and not just being contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. Like this is one of those ways that you can do it. Like you can build a, a viable way that this would play out that you can actually get yourself points from guys who are actually going to see the ball. It's you're not just choosing these random cheap pieces. Uh, like you said, I, I think this slate's going to be really interesting because of the blow up potential. I actually, I normally do my first look for the week, like after our pod here, but I did it last night and I was, I, I kind of, my our, something I've been doing recently is I'm marking, I, I basically come up with like what I think the, the score will be. And when I write down a score, that's like 30 plus I'm, I like highlight that in green. And if there's a score that's 20 or lower, I highlight that in red. And it was interesting I can't remember the last time I highlighted so many games in red. <laughs> like there were a lot of teams that I'm like, I just don't see scoring a lot of points. So I exactly like you're saying. And again, a, another thing I talked about on the, the process pod today too, is like find good game environments and you're, you're already, you're putting yourself in a place to win. You're, you're already ahead of the field. If you're choosing from good game environments, because then like, yes, you still have to choose the right guys, but 
you have a much higher chance of doing that than people that are going to be choosing random plays or contrarian plays or whatever. So, yeah, I think that's definitely interesting. Uh, just, you know, we've, we've hit a record length pod without Lex. And I thought it was going to be shorter. <laughs> so Lex, uh, <laughs> you know, Lex is like, yeah, sometimes I, I ramble, I talk a lot. Well, you can, that's, that, that myth is, is busted now <laughs> because Jess and I did the job ourselves. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm good. Jess, any, any other thoughts from you? No, that's it. I, I, I like the games we covered. I like some of the plays in them. Obviously, uh, they, there's still plenty of week to go. We got injuries and all that to, to get through. But these these are three competitive games. I think we got some choices to work with here. Um, I still have to do my, my look at my overview of the whole slate as well. And that usually happens tomorrow. I write up a cash game article. So I'll, I'll look at the slate a little more deeply during the day tomorrow. But I don't know. It, this this Washington Raider game is kind of standing out to me. I, I really like the the way that that you can build around that and and put together some high priced pieces around the the core pieces that, like you said, the, we know they're getting the ball. Like usually, when you're hunting for value, you're you're kind of looking at like wishy washy plays, like guys that you know they they may share a backfield or they may be the team's third receiving option or whatever it is. I mean, we're looking at cheap plays. Gibson fifty seven hundred. Um, Logan Thomas, what was it? 4,000 or 4,200. Yeah, 4,000. Uh, the plays on the Raiders side are cheap. Like it's only 6,000. And what if Josh Jacobs goes off and goes for three touchdowns with Waller out? Like they don't even bother to throw it in the red zone. They just hammer Jacobs in for three touchdowns. Like there, so many of these plays are so cheap and you can build around it. So, and the late swap, like, I, I don't know. I, it's maybe I'm just getting tired and I'm, this is the last game we've done. <laughs> it's, it's definitely an appealing game. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's kind of like we talked about with the last game too. It's understanding like when you're making bets, because I, I mean, I've really had to come to terms with this myself this season. And it's really helped to understand this and any good gambler or, or somebody that plays a game like this or poker will tell you it's like it's you're not you're not predicting the future you're not predicting outcomes all you're doing is placing bets on things that have a higher likelihood chance of happening than the rest of the field thinks that it will and so i think we covered that in these games today they're they're not smash spots necessarily but they are spots where things could happen and that's how you need to push yourself ahead of the field absolutely all right, guys, I'm tired too. <laughs> let's uh, let's get out of here for tonight. For Jess, for the the resting Lex, I'm Ben. This has been the First Peak Podcast. Hope to see you all at the top of the leaderboards this weekend.